0: Hello. hello.
1: Hello. Hello.
0: Hello. Is this hello safety talk? Sure. Is this a is this a podcast that leads to enhanced neural networks?
2: I don't know. Do you think this is a podcast that leads to enhanced neural networks?
0: Well, let me uh, let me answer your question with another question. Should should, should I think that I that it is a podcast? I don't know. I don't know. What's up, Doctor Don? Hey, Ben. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. We um so just to let uh, let the listeners uh, inside our our world of um uh, our, our habits as we start podcasts and what we do every time, usually. You and I exchanged a few texts um, very close to the time that we're going to start, and one of us usually says, I'm getting a coffee, so give me five or ten minutes. And today, we didn't do that, and I just jumped on Skype, and I was like, hey, Don's online. Let's start. And we, like, started – we are so on time, we started at the right time. Amazing.
2: Wow! to me. yeah. Well, and, I,
0: and, you know, and I got here's here's here was my
2: well, here was my workflow, Ben, in leading up to the podcast, because I know that uh, you and the listeners are very interested. Yeah, in I'm, I'm the very podcast interested. workflow yeah. around around 1130. I said, you know, I'm getting a little hungry for lunch, but it's too early for lunch. But then I said, you know, but I have to do a podcast right on the dot of one o'clock. And so I'm going to break from tradition. I'm going to get lunch early. I had my lunch. What did you have for I, lunch? Today? I ate my lunch. I had some uh, Thai rice noodle soup, um, which came from a package. Uh, it's a, it's one of those processed food products, Ben. That's apparently not good for us.
0: Yeah, but, it's bad bad stuff, I think.
2: And then I had some uh, processed uh, tuna fish in a pouch. Oh.
0: Uh, and
2: then and then I had uh, I had some time, and I said, you know, uh, I have uh, I have this. Um, uh, so the way that I make coffee now is uh, I use an Aeropress, and I have this whole thing where I, I make a certain amount of coffee and a certain amount of water, which I heat for a certain time, and then a certain amount of milk, and I heat that for a certain amount of time. It's a whole big, it's a whole big thing. It's the way that I make uh, that I make coffee. And actually, interestingly, uh, this week's uh, the talk show, uh, Gruber once again talked about uh, the way that you have a great podcast is you need a way to make fizzy water, you need a fussy way to make coffee, and you need a clickety keyboard. And so I'm I'm nailing it two out <laughs> of Three. not bad um but uh <laughs> Uh, uh so oh so so uh but the way that that coffee works it's basically like a one shot it's like a like a latte um essentially it's one shot of espresso type grind um and and really i i i need two of those right and so i can't make two at once because then i'd need two arrow presses and two microwave ovens and it would just be very complicated um so i made so i had my lunch i had my coffee i took the dogs out into the backyard for a little playtime, and then I came back, and I just had exactly the right amount of time to make another coffee, and boom, here
0: I am. And boom, and here, here you go. Are you – is your Aeropress the Aerobi Aeropress? Is there? Is that the, the only one there is? There. Well, I think it's pronounced Araby. Uh-uh. No. Nope. <laughs> um, I think you're wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, the
2: Aeropress from the Aerobi company, yes.
0: Aerobi. Um, yep, yep. And, and their Aeropress. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'm going to – I, I, and this is one. Do you not have an AeroPress? Have we, we've talked about we've, this. We've talked about it, and I, I've not. It, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I um. I, I thought you were a crazy person when you were talking about the AeroPress. Oh, uh, I until, am not. Uh, I am not. I know until uh, uh, Chip Clyde Manuel mm-hmm. uh, was telling me that he traveled to uh, Boise with his and his burr grinder. <sighs> and uh, And I thought, you know what? if you two together collectively, it's not, I can, I can draw a trend line through that. Uh, maybe there's, there's more to this madness that I need to investigate. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a
2: really, it's a good way. I mean, I'm not quite chip manual crazy. Um, take my AeroPress and burr grinder when I'm traveling, mm because usually when I'm traveling, I can get some pretty good Starbucks or, or something, but, um, although I do carry uh, an umbrella and a travel scale uh, in my in my in my bag because I am obsessive about knowing how much
0: I weigh. <laughs> so, um, so there's other neuroses. It's other just not- neuroses, just not the coffee making <laughs> kind. Just to be clear. Okay. Um, but I, t- I tell you, if
2: I was still uh, doing my camping with the Boy Scouts, uh, I would definitely take an Aeropress and a um, uh, burr grinder, some sort of a battery operated burr grinder. Oh, actually, you know what? I did before i got the fancy uh bird grinder that i that i have uh that I have right now, um, sorry, I'm playing with my volume levels. Um, uh, uh, before I had the, uh, fancy, uh, uh, electric grinder that I have right now, I did have a hand crank, uh, grinder, which I could very easily take with me, um, along with my, uh, with my Aeropress, um, which is again, and that, that, that's, and that's a, that's a really nice grinder, but I just got more lazy. And so now I've spent one that's cost like uh, an order of magnitude or more expensive. Um, uh, and it just plugs in and, and I, and I like it very much.
0: I saw one that is um, here. It is. I'll send you this uh, this link on the uh, on the Amazon. That that this is what made me think about about maybe delving into this area. Is there's like a hand crank burr grinder that fits inside the AeroPress Press? That yes, makes it easier to travel.
2: that's I think that's the one that uh, that I right. use. Yeah. Yep.
0: So uh, I might I might just uh, step in. I mean, it is not a. Expensive world to jump into with the no aeropress like 30 bucks and this grinder is like 15.
2: Yeah, it is not, it is not, it is not expensive. Um, it, it's a, it's really the only thing I would say is if you get one of those, uh, one of those, those, uh, uh, grinders, just be very careful about, uh, dropping the ceramic burrs, okay? Because if you drop them, they will shatter.
0: All right, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm getting in on this. I'm gonna try this, I'm gonna take it. We, we are going to Canada where oh they
2: don't have good coffee in Canada well,
0: sometimes it's so, sometimes it's a little bit uh that's Horton's crap seems, seems like where i'm staying might not always have the greatest <laughs> that would be your parents house uh no my parents it's the it's it depends where we're staying let me just okay. we'll just leave it at that uh, <laughs> and so i'm going to ch- i might i may do this i think i'm going to do it i'm i'm jumping in yeah, Listen. it's I, it hi,
2: highly recommended. I mean, it really, it really is good. I mean, Aeropress if nothing else, because it's just really good coffee.
0: So. Okay, well, I'm, gonna, I'm yeah, I, I got to figure this out. Um, second thing I want uh, I wanted to uh, jump in and talk to you about and it, it's a, it's very uh, quick discussion uh, about my workflow mm. uh, as it relates to what we do uh, for the podcast. I usually either um, make a coffee or go to coffee go get a coffee, and I have a Starbucks flat white. Oh, Where I you go I you know I really I I
2: get I as as we may have discussed uh I get like stars for you know and then and then I stick it to the man and get a really expensive drink when I get enough stars and yeah. my when I go and I get like regular coffee to you know to earn the stars it's regular like just a coffee a but drink. when I when I go to stick it to the man with my free drink I get that flat white is now my go-to drink it is it's such a good drink I can't believe it's not more popular
0: it's it's very popular in in uh, parts where we have listeners right like in Australia and New Zealand it's all about the flat Flat white, so that's where I oh. knew about them. Yeah, flat that's white. what I found out about yeah. it. Yeah, for the first time, for yeah, a long time ago. But um, so so anyway, I got I got myself a flat white. It's a nice nice sweet um sweet drink, and and then I usually like to go because you know we talk for a while, um you know, and I'm I i do not have a heart out today, and hmm. I don't know if you do, but um but I like to go to the to the restroom, and <laughs> so part of my workflow is that. And today I rem- we've not I don't think talked about it, but every time I go. Um, use the restroom after I have consumed beets, it uh, it surprises me a little bit. Like, oh, and then I remember, oh, I had beets. Everything's huh. good. Everything's good. So I had some beets yesterday, Don.
2: <laughs> How did that work out for you?
0: It worked out great. Okay. The beets were were fantastic. Um, the, uh, um, the the display of beets uh, in my in my workflow uh, was uh, again surprising for a second. It's like this really uh-huh. interesting emotion, like. Oh, oh my god, I'm dying! Uh huh. And then it's like, no, no, I just ate beets. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know who is a
2: fan of uh, eating the beets? Um, uh, she likes a beet salad. Would be uh, Linda Harris, I, uh, who uh, who downloads and now listens to she the podcast.
0: Listens every once in a while. Yeah, every um, once in a while. I hope she. I we I, I share I share the love of beets with Linda.
2: Maybe it's a Canadian thing. Are you not? You don't like beets? <laughs> I'm, they taste like dirt to me. They're okay.
0: Yeah, but there's uh, so. Okay, let me buy. The, yes, they taste like dirt. <laughs> But, but delicious, delicious dirt. Yeah, like delicious sweet dirt with uh, w- with a very like non dirt like the thing you get with beets is the all the dirt flavor with none of the dirt grit. And, <laughs> well it depends on how well they're washed. Well, so You're... I've been let me tell you about beets. The beets that I eat. Um, we've been getting beets <laughs> that are from I don't I don't roast my own beets because that's I mean it's just chaos. <laughs> Um, I get beets that are available that are I think high pressure processed. Hmm. That they because they come in a ROP bag. Oh, um, and I, I'd be a little I'd be a little leery of that. I, look, I'm telling you they're fantastic. I eat them um, a lot, uh, maybe once a week with a little bit of goat cheese and mm-hmm. some. Um, <laughs> Usually a, a nut of some sort. Usually a walnut. Last night was walnuts, and uh, last time I had them was uh, pecans, pecans, as they're known mm-hmm. in some mm-hmm. parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that. That's it. Like, that's a salad for me. Just a little bit of beet. Not not Dr. Dre beets, which I also mm-hmm. have. That's, mm-hmm. You hear that right here? Those are my beets. <laughs> and I won't uh, give you the sound of my other beets from yesterday. But, okay. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all about So I think maybe you're not eating the beets right.
2: I, I think I think Ben I think I just don't like them and that's and that and that's, that's okay, okay I we you know we don't have to both like the same things true true
0: Um so, uh, so the ROP beets—you're a little leery about those. Well,
2: you know, beets come from the ground, and uh, that's where you find botulism. And ROP uh, is a selective uh, environment, and so I would just—I uh, would just want to know, uh, you know, how those uh, how those beets are being uh, processed. That's yeah. all. I I want to know what the pH is. Uh, I want to know. Yeah, I want to know so many things.
0: I wonder what the pH of beets is. I think that it is. Yeah, it's definitely a low acid. It is uh, according to um, FDA's uh, a chart of approximate pHs 5.3 to 6.6 mm. and that's why I think I, I'm sh- like so I think like the guacamole that you find in the ROP mm-hmm. uh, area like the pouches of guacamole I can't remember there's a couple of different companies that make them. Mm-hmm. I believe those are HPP guacamoles yes uh, according to our good friend uh, Randy Warbo who uh, I think has done some work on that. Yep. Um, so I that I again in the like realm of food safety, where sometimes we ask questions and sometimes we just make assumptions. I just assume that they're processed, mm-hmm. uh, and, but they're using they're definitely using um, uh, temperature control. Um, which, but there's well, probably not. now I mean, there, so there's assumptions there. Yeah, uh, and there's probably not a lot of competing microorganisms based on these are cooked beets that have been peeled and they're I mean the my beat step when I get home is I take them out of the pack. No, I don't even take them out of the package. I put them in the microwave for a minute and a half as I stab three um holes in the top of the package and I yeah in I the microwave them for a hmm. minute. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I mean I guess well, yeah they're good. If
2: if someday you don't show up for the podcast we'll know why.
0: It, it might be the beats. Might it, be the beets. it might be it might be it could be that i'm just so very surprised by the beets uh, the next day that i just lose it um you know do you know do you know uh, do you know uh, do you know what beeturia is ben beeturia no
2: beeturia oh beeturia no i don't know what it is yeah it, beeturia or beeturia is the passing of red or pink urine after eating beetroots or foods colored with beetroot extract okay. or beetroot pigments according to wikipedia uh,
0: that is what i'm talking about that is exactly. Has, it you, you
2: exactly. know, it has a name.
0: Literally. Um that's what I'm talking about. Um there is some relation to iron deficiency. Right. There, But are, there's no
2: relation to deficiencies in hepatic metabolism or renal excretion. Yeah,
0: which is good. So um, <laughs> it seems like my renal excretion is great. It's right on it's right on top. It's on top of things. Where it should be. Exactly. Uh betanin is the beet pigment uh that causes the urine coloring.
2: Yes, yes it is, man.
0: Uh <laughs> So let me tell you that this is not what I'm talking about because I'm not talking about the urine passing. I'm talking about I'm t- talking about number two. So, oh my, yeah, yeah, that's the oh, part okay. that I think I'm dying. Oh geez, and well, not, see, that's you're not, uh, eating, enough, you're not ne- eating enough beets. Clearly not. Beets. I did have some asparagus the other day. Beet poop. Let's see what this is uh, all about. Be- if you don't, maybe don't Google beet poop. <laughs> Let's do that some other time. Beats and blood in the stool from Livestrong.com. Uh, borscht, blah, 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 beats in your stool. Uh, yeah, a little bit of pink. It says it's okay. Um, so according to uh, Livestrong, which is uh, Lance Armstrong, who's, our, who's a doctor, Dr. Lance, uh, should be all right.
2: That's good. You know, there is a, a bowel movement beat test. Ben, did you know that? No. <laughs> yes. See, we have different Googles. We uh, Second hit on mine was uh, the bowel movement beat test. How to measure th- your digestive transit time?
0: Oh, <laughs> I'll tell you. you what... a marker, apparently, a colored marker. I'll tell you what my digestive transit time is. Dinner last night to lunch today.
2: All right, Boop. There, it is. there you go.
0: That's what's at that, eighteen hours. Yeah, that's just about right. So I think. I'm I'm on I'm on top I'm on top of it. Um so so we got so we got beats. Uh hey, guess what I guess what I bought? Um about things that you know, that weren't people that were not sponsored by but um I'm jumping into the fray. I I subscribed to uh HBO Now. Now.
2: Really? Yeah, cuz I go been... go 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 subscribe to HBO Now. Now. Now go.
0: Now go. I I <laughs> so I've been I I think I've we we talked about all the shows that we t- that we watch and i have like struggled to get through game of thrones and i want to to watch it like i like some of it and it's very confusing there's a lot of things going on um but i was acquiring the um the files and now i'm doing it without acquiring them and watching it directly on my on my ipad oh um, cool yeah and streaming it and so it it was good and um yeah so i I got myself some there's and there's a lot of like cool stuff on hbo that i didn't even think about as being hbo shows and there's a Mm -hmm. bunch of movies and stuff it's actually pretty good yeah so so i've been yeah so there so there's that Um, yeah. Oh, and speaking,
2: actually, this is very apropos. I think I put this into the Dropbox to talk about. So speaking of things, good things that are on HBO, um, there is John Oliver's show Yes. and I saw something come across my, my Facebook feed a cup in a couple of different ways. Um, uh, and apparently this last episode that aired on Sunday, he talked about P hacking. Now, now P hacking is not the same thing as you would think, uh, you know, uh, related to beat urea or any uh, anything like that. P hacking. Well, Ben, do you know what p hacking is? I don't know what p hacking is. So, what p hacking is? It's hacking your p values. <laughs> right, and it's a scientific thing where what you do is you you study a whole bunch of variables uh, and you look to see you look to find statistically statistically significant correlations in those variables, and then you publish based on the significant correlations that you find, and that is what's known as p hacking, and that is a bad thing in terms of science because it basically it's just junk science, and and so uh, John Oliver had a wonderful twenty minute long segment basically on this very topic and and, and actually discussed a, a lot about a lot of the these uh, you know news stories that say oh, coffee's good for you coffee's bad for you wine is good for you wine is bad for you beets are good for you beets are bad for you um, uh, a lot of that is based on these this kind of studies and and and, he, and it was sort of it was it was a little bit sort of you know Trashing scientists, but also really mostly trashing uh, the news media, especially the television news media. Although it's in it's in print as well, uh, with this whole idea of okay, the next the next big study is going to come out, and I just thought it was really like so many things that that John Oliver does. I just thought it was remarkably. Thoughtful and and well done as well as being very funny so if you haven't seen that video yet it's uh, like about said 20, 21 minutes I uh, highly recommended.
0: I haven't seen it yet and that was that was in last night's uh, John Oliver um, so I will uh, now that I have HBO go I can watch that oh actually will uh, we'll, we'll check it out on the on the YouTube as well exactly um, so the on the on the p hacking let me ask you something since we mm-hmm. watched this mm-hmm. and we had a conversation um a while ago about uh farmers markets and mark uh, Bellmere, and we had a little follow-up what Is that um the is that p hacking or is that not p hacking or is it because um the farmers market work that that mark did has uh hypotheses does that make it not p what's you what's your take on that well, <clears throat> you know, that's a
2: it's a it's a really good it's a really good question and I guess <sighs> I, I guess you know it's 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 hard to say, right? In in in, this, in that in that particular case and in the general case, because certainly, a lot of times when we do research in my lab, it's not hypothesis-driven research, right? It really is exploratory research. We have some variables we want to understand the relationship between those variables, and we don't know what we're going to find. We're looking for maybe to generate hypotheses, and so I guess what I would say is. Anything is fair game. But if you you what you should realize, and there's a wonderful uh, XKCD post, which we will link to, um, which remember, think about think about that magic value of 0.05, right? Like that's has and again, there's been some wonderful stuff from the American uh, Statistics Association about you know uh, uh, undue reliance on, on p-values and specifically looking at 0.05 as being the, the cutoff. Remember that a, if, if something is significant at a level of 0.05, that means that the, the, the chance that the correlation that you're observing is, that is due to chance alone is 1 in 20 right which is an awfully high number and so when my <clears throat> students report p values from our research i want to know i want to know exactly what that p value is right i don't want to know that's less than 0.05 i want to know exactly what it is is it 0.001 is it 0.00000001 cuz those are different right and so i that that to me that's what's important it's not it's not whether it's hypothesis-driven research. It's really what is the level of significance and also how many different factors did you have to look at before you found that level of significance. And, and then it's how do you make the statement, right? Did that generate a hypothesis for you? Do you think that there is some underlying mechanism? What's the, what's the purpose of, of the, the work that you're trying to do? So, the, so as always, that's a much more complicated answer than, you know, is, is it black yeah. or white?
0: No, that's that's good, and and I this is an area that um that I don't I'm not this is not my strong my strong area. I mean I've I, I explained to someone earlier today one of the things that I am good at is like setting our DVR like that like I'm good at there, you know you gotta you gotta know your 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 strengths, and when it comes to um, statistical analysis, it's not it's not an area that I that I focus on, and that provides some challenge in reviewing manuscripts because you know in in a couple of the journals that i that i uh, review for they have a um uh, like a a thing in the review uh that says should should this be should this manuscript be sent to somebody to uh who is a statistician to review whether the statistics are correct and probably over 50 percent of the time i review for um articles that have more complex statistics than I'm comfortable with, I check that box because I'm Mm -hmm. not, I just, you know, it's just not my, not my area. And so when you're reviewing manuscripts, is that like a a common thing for you to look at and say, I don't, you know, I want to see the exact P values. Um, yes, I, I will, if they
2: didn't share the exact values, I will ask to see them. And also I will call them out if I think that they're, well, if there's, if there's stats that are missing that they just should have done, right. Or if I think that they've done it incorrectly. And I certainly, you know, I don't have a degree in statistics. I don't consider myself, I consider myself probably better than your average microbiologist at, at statistics. But, um, but I, you know, uh, at some point I also you also I, I think you also have to trust the authors kind of know what they're doing, at least with respect to 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 some of that. And I'm more interested in how did they use statistics to support the story that they're trying to tell. And again, I can't tell you how many times a graduate student, not not one of mine, but another student in the department, has come to me and said, Tell me what test to run. Right. And right. I'm like, no, no. You tell me. You, you bring the data, you bring the raw data, and you tell me what you think the story is. And then let's talk about what you think the story is, and then we will use statistics to support or not support that story. But it doesn't start with tell me what test to run, right? Because that's the that's the wrong – I can't tell possibly tell you what test to run if you can't tell me what it is that you think the data mean.
0: Right, right. And what, and what it is that you're trying to um... – what, what, yeah, like you said, what's the story that you're trying to tell with it? Right. Um, Yeah, that's I, I, over, you know, um, over the last couple of years, I've started working closer in the design phase with statisticians, um, we, a, a, as well as in the analysis and, and sort of saying, OK, we can do so much with descriptive statistics, but. It's not as powerful as if we, we do, you know, real statistical tests that are beyond, you know, ANOVAs. Um, and and that's, you know, so so I just, I feel like, and this is the the role of collaboration is being able to find people that you can work with that understand the types of questions you're trying to ask and have them work with you to design it and then do analysis in the way that is, um, is valid. Um, and, and, and I you know in, in my little area of the food safety world, um, very, not very rarely, but, but many of the, the papers that I review that I reject or, or um, mention uh, that it needs further, you know, uh, major revisions largely has to do with analysis and getting past just the descriptive world. Um, and, and not to say that I'm, you know, this is where it's, you know, I was kind of going with my earlier comments, not to say that I know exactly what it needs to be, but I know that we need to have someone who has, um, has some background in statistics look to answer questions better, and more complete, uh, before, before we can make any, um, any conclusions and be able to complete that story
2: right and uh, but I think at the same time we we should realize that um, it's okay to to do to tell stories or to do science without statistics right like Absolutely. That, that's also yeah. a perfectly valid thing to do and it's not it's like I still remember from uh, and I may have told this before on the podcast I still remember from my master's, uh, uh, defense uh, person, uh, I don't. I, the person wasn't on my committee, but they they did review a paper, and uh, we had made a statement about something something significant, and this person had commented uh, that that you you can't say that without running statistics. And my my master's advisor, Larry Bouchard, said, "Well, actually, significant was a word before he had statistics, <laughs> and so you can actually use that word without without running a statistical test with it." Um, which uh, that has always stuck with me um as being great advice but I think in the end we ended up using a different word just just to avoid the this irritating this particular person but but he but his point to me was well made right it's it's that you know you well, you you can use a word that means a thing and it doesn't have to be um it doesn't it doesn't necessarily require that you then run a test to be able to use that word
0: right 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 and I guess we're we're um, without getting into specifics of of rejected manuscripts where where I run into issues is, where you see someone has collected some decent quantitative data on pre and post intervention something and and then they um answer the like they provide that data as a um like a histogram essentially like a, a or or um a, a table of well here are the here are the raw numbers that we have so everybody who's a food handler will fall into these categories and and it's i I just i feel like if um it gets sloppy when we go down that road without like where where we're trying to draw larger conclusions without and have some data in hand where we could do that but we don't run the um the correct tests to do so or any tests and that's the that yeah that's i guess that's where i'm going with it
2: well, and actually this, this fits nicely into some listener feedback from episode 100 um, where we were talking about um, hand-drying and statistics. And, and so we were talking in the last episode – about um, uh, a study uh, which basically said uh, that um, uh, uh, towel drying and air drying uh, were not significantly different according to a study uh, by Gustafson. And in fact, my graduate student who was listening said, well, you know, we actually published, we meaning he and I (laughs) actually published a paper which refuted that. uh, And and I will read to you from our paper uh, because uh, thanks, uh, thanks, uh, Dane, for for that, for that very good feedback. Good Um, job, Dane. So what we, yeah, and it, you know, and this, this is the problem, Ben, with recording uh, episodes and then immediately publishing them is that people give you immediate feedback, (laughs) Um, and then we have to
0: respond to it immediately.
2: Immediately, I think we had met uh, – I think we published it uh, maybe on a Thursday or something, and I was meeting him for dinner on a Friday, and uh, he gave me this feedback. So I will read to you from our paper uh, in which we write, A study by Gustafson at al. used 99 volunteers and tested four different methods of drying hands and their effect on microbial reduction of bacteria during a hand wash. Uh, Gustafson uh, et al tested cloth towels from a rotary dispenser, paper towels in a stack, a forced air dryer and air drying uh, via evaporation without forced air. Although these researchers indicated there was no difference between drying methods, they reported their data as differences in CFU rather than differences in log CFU and of course this is a this this rem- this is, goes right to the heart of the statistics because e- A lot of our statistics assumes normality, and in fact, what we've shown many times uh, through work in our lab looking at cross-contamination and looking at hand-washing is that CFU data of this type are not normally distributed, but log-transformed data, log-CFU data are normally distributed. And so, and now back to the manuscript, if the correct statistical transformation logarithmic is used on the reported data and a log reduction is calculated, it can be inferred that Drying hands with paper towels provides a 0.5 log CFU greater reduction than evaporation, air drying, or drying with warm air. Um, uh, And then again, uh, similarly, another study reported that campylobacter is more readily removed from fingertips if a paper towel is included, et cetera, et cetera. So so again, the bottom line is, although we didn't have the raw data, so we couldn't uh, uh, compute uh, statistical significance. Um, it does show that that getting the stats right and getting the transformations right certainly does matter when it comes to this kind of thing.
0: So, and uh, statistics can matter sometimes, except uh, when it doesn't. Well, yes, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right, right. Like, yeah, yeah, that's that's good. No, well, thanks for um, sharing the uh, uh, John Oliver And in, in real time, since we're like all caught up. Um, uh, Doug just posted a barf blog post, uh, that references the John Oliver video as well. Excellent. Excellent. Cross purposing, right? Like across all the brands. Exactly. Good, good, good. Um, Hey, I want to, I want to talk Listeria and frozen foods. Is this the right time to do that? Why would
2: you, why would you want to talk about that?
0: Oh, Don. Is that, that's a solved problem, isn't it? It's a solved problem. People, uh, people aren't, uh, it's not a big deal. Huh. Because uh, I think that uh, the frozen fruits and vegetables, if you didn't, if you didn't know, are uh, not ready to eat foods. So if you were going to eat frozen fruits and vegetables, you'd have to cook them first. And if you cook them, then that'll kill all the listeria, right? Mm, sure. Well, that's the that's a thought. That's a that's that's a thought behind it. Except when. Uh, when, when it maybe doesn't, and also maybe when there's cross-contamination. Uh, anyway, we've got, there's, I mean, a big, a, a like, massive, massive recall from uh, this company named CRF Foods, Frozen Foods, and they're out of uh, uh, Washington, um, uh, Washington State, and they've recalled, like, five, hundred different products and now we've got like recall uh creep i'm we'll link to the show notes but it is like a, an exhaustive list of every frozen fruit and vegetable item that this company crf foods is, frozen foods has made um since may 1st uh 2014 uh and why uh why do we have it why do we have this recall? Uh, we got some illnesses. Well, and that—that that I
2: think to me is the so. So number one, uh, the, the anytime something hits the news media that I see that's not barf blog or anything by Bill, Bill Marler. I know it's big, it's right? Big. And this, yeah. and this was on slate. Like I, 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 one of the things that I saved to, to our Dropbox for a discussion was an article from slate and, and wow, you know, that, that to me says that it's really, uh, you know, this is really significant. And I think the fact that there is a, a frozen food company, a frozen fr- uh, fruit and vegetable company that's doing a Listeria recall, that's not really news. Now, no. maybe it's a little bit of news because it's huge. But I think most, really to me, the absolutely most significant thing about this recall is that there are illnesses, right?
0: Right, and that
2: so, that to me is uh, that that to me is really the the key part of this.
0: And, and so, those illnesses, there are seven illnesses, um, and there's uh, like some, I mean, interesting nuance, I guess, around. Um, a couple of deaths, uh, because two two people that were sick with listeria have have since died, um, but but CDC has um, is, is kind of sort of said that it's not was not the cause direct cause of death, um, right? And and we definitely need to come back and talk about
2: that because yeah. that is also the language that CDC has been using with respect to a raw milk outbreak linked to listeria. Is that correct? Did I reckon that? Yeah, that is correct. So I think that is some – and that is, to me, that is some relatively new language that I don't think we've heard – that I don't recall hearing CDC use in the past.
0: No, no. So and I'll, I'll read directly from um, the CDC uh, posting of the multi-state outbreak of listeriosis linked to frozen, frozen vegetables. Um, it says eight people infected with the outbreak strains of listeria have been reported from three states since going back to September 13, 2013 – all eight were hospitalized, including one from Maryland and one from Washington, who died, although listeriosis was not considered to be a cause of death for either person. Um, so, I mean, this uh, this outbreak, um, uh, kudos again to the world of whole genome sequencing, um, and and not, not just the fact that whole genome sequencing exists, but that our... Um, uh, food protection and public health agencies uh, are employing 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 this technique um, to go really go back in time uh, and connect positive um, samples with illnesses that look like they might have been sporadic um, in in the past. Um, so I'll read just a little bit here. Um, from the CDC website, uh, epidemiologic uh, and laboratory evidence uh, indicates that frozen vegetables processed by CRF frozen foods and sold under various brand names are one likely source of illness in this outbreak. This is a complex, ongoing investigation, and updates will be provided when more information is available. This uh, outbreak was identified in March 2016. Um, State and local health departments attempted to interview ill people, a family member or a caregiver, uh, and uh, three of the eight ill people or their caregiver were interviewed using a questionnaire that asked about a variety of foods. Two of these reported in buying and eating frozen vegetables in the month before, um, and both reported organic by nature brand frozen vegetables. Um, And then during this exact same time period, part of a routine product sampling, Ohio Department of Agriculture, um... Collected some packages of frozen ves- vegetables from retail and isolated listeria from uh, True Goodness brand by Meyer, and they traced that back to CR- CRF Frozen Foods. So we have um, a, a, again epidemiology and um, a routine sampling of, of product uh, leading to to cracking at least a you know a portion of this of this case um, and. and these So if you look at the um, the epi curve that we'll, uh, uh, that we'll link to. <laughs> I, think, I think calling it a I, curve is generous. Is that, yeah. The epi line? The epi line, yes. The epi line. One one person. So um, September 2013, Ill, one illness. January 2015, one illness. February 2015, no, illness. another one in July. Another one in October. Another one in December. One in January. Uh, and then one in March. And, I mean... Three years ago, we're looking at eight sporadic cases of listeria, right? Exactly. It's it's just and, – and this is I, – I am in awe of this more than anything um, in the world of food safety right now. Like, you know, because I, I kind of fall in love in th- with things, and, and this becomes the most important thing. Um, we are not – you and I are not talking about uh, listeria and frozen foods. Slate's not talking about listeria and frozen foods. Um, there isn't a, a sort of massive look at what could happen what are the interventions are they are they are people doing the right things how are we validating um, cleaning and sanitizing I mean oh, everything around frozen foods it's not happening without employing this whole genome sequencing and connecting these sporadic looking illnesses with um, with routine sampling and, and data sharing I mean it's just it it is, it's, it's fairly phenomenal. And and it doesn't sort of take a. there's some tragedy and these, I mean, these are real illnesses, right? Like we've got eight hospitalizations um, and and it doesn't sort of prevent those, but it, something like this and the focus that happens may get into how do we um, keep these, small, you know, small, but tragic and devastating outbreaks from, from happening. And it looks like Bluebell, right? Like it's a similar type of thing. Well, but you know, yeah, so, so, so two points. Number
2: one, I want to come back to that because I think we know, or at least I've heard a lot more about why, what, what would explain Bluebell. I think this, we still have a lot of missing information. The other point I want to make is, is uh, props to the American Frozen Food Institute, uh, who is in the midst of hopefully soon announcing some research funding that's gonna try to get to the heart of this matter on risk assessment and risk management techniques for the frozen food industry. Unfortunately, there are a few years Kind of late, um, but at least they're they're doing it, and and I think this is just going to light a fire under the industry. I mean, they started doing this, you know, a number of years ago, and they need to. They need. Unfortunately, it's it's unfortunate they did not move faster. But you know, things take time, and, and good for them for at least uh, trying to to skate as hard as they can to where the puck will be, so that they're that they're able to have the research data to support this. But you know, the frozen food industry generally has been getting these wake-up calls from time to time. And it's just the timing on this is unfortunate from their perspective. But again, if nothing else, it will help them redouble their efforts. But to back to the, the cases. So these are uh, uh, ill people range from uh, 56 to 86 with a median age of 76, right? So the elderly, that makes sense. Um, uh, uh, 75% of the people were female, which is interesting. So maybe there's a, a skewed towards eating, eating healthier foods, which would include you know frozen foods as long as they don't have Listeria in them. Um, but what do we know, Ben, if anything, about how those frozen foods were prepared and these, these were all apparently frozen foods that people bought and then purchased in their homes right this right. is not this is not an example of slacking out uh, peas on a salad bar right this is frozen foods that were eaten in the home and do we know anything about this we know the scope of the recall but what do we know about specifically about what those eight people ate and how those eight people prepared those foods
0: We don't know anything about it okay. Like I mean, in that I'm not being tried about it. We don't. I mean, it's not it's not reported. What we can let let, let's um let's get down go down the dangerous road of inference and speculation, shall we?
2: (laughs) Sure, why not? We do it all every time.
0: We do it every every episode. So um, I I reviewed the list of foods. Mm -hmm. I looked at um, you know I when when this uh, outbreak came out and this information came out last week. I, I looked at okay, what types of things would I think are the most likely to lead to illnesses in this group. And I looked at things like kale as something that is very, frozen kale, something that is um, increasingly used in smoothies in a frozen, Mm -hmm. not, you know, as a frozen ready-to-eat type food where um, the producers of this may not think it is ready to eat. I looked at I look at veg or uh, fruits. Now I don't know, and this is where things get a little dicey. Where we we really need to get you know talk to um, someone from CDC because um, specifically they say a multi state outbreak of listeriosis linked to frozen frozen vegetables. Okay, Mm -hmm. but. If we look at the The, list... Right, the recall is... Well, and the FDA website says
2: all frozen vegetable and fruit products, right? right? Uh, So, yeah, so which is it?
0: Right, right. Right. And and if it's... and So I I look at those, I look at kale and I look at um, uh, berries uh, and fruits as something that is most likely not going to be heat-treated before consumption by a consumer. Just, I guess, anecdotally and um, knowing how the products are mar- not marketed, but are used in recipes. I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think it's, um, if it's consumed, if it's consuming this food, it's, it's probably not something like peas or corn. Now, that being said, what about microwaving this these frozen vegetables? We know that microwaving has um, inconsistent, Heating attributes uh, for that product that's that's in the bowl or in the on the dish, and I, I I'll tell you when I when I went to college um, and uh, moved into a house with a bunch of roommates for the first time, um, five of us uh, had all lived in in dorms for, for three years, a couple of years as residence assistants. We'd all you know grown up in houses that had some various amounts of of cooking, but my one of my uh roommates um and and still close friend uh today uh andrew um taught me this trick of instead of boiling a bunch of water with uh, frozen corn he's like i don't know why you're doing that just put your frozen corn in a dish put a little bit of water in it put a um a uh um a, 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 some you know a, a plate on top of that that dish and microwave it on high until it's hot and yeah, sure, some pieces are st- still going to be frozen and some of it's going to be really hot. So stir it around a little bit so it's, and it'll be not too hot to eat, but it'll be the right temperature. And I think about that practice as that's probably not cooking food to 135. I know for sure in my case, I wasn't. Um, or sorry, I know for sure in my case, I don't know what the temperature was, but I, I, I would not hesitate to think that um, there are many people who are um, making individualized Meals who are microwaving frozen frozen vegetables to a temperature that is uh, palatable and not um, a temperature that's uh, base you're built to uh, kill listeria.
2: Well, and and yeah, a couple of points. Number one, I think you had mentioned uh, smoothies before, right? So, what do we know about using these things in, in smoothies? And just looking down the list of things, I know we do occasionally have uh, smoothies in our house made from blueberries, which we hand picked. Um, and of course, we're not, um, you know, immunocompromised, or I guess we're increasingly elderly. But <laughs> right at the right at the, the bottom the, end of at that the cusp, at the at, cusp, yeah, at the at the bottom end of that yeah. uh, that distribution. Um, so, and also, honestly. The the other questions I have are, what about leftovers? What about what, le- yeah. what was the temperature of the refrigerators of these people? Right, and if you look at the Jensen Farms cantaloupe outbreak again, very similar outbreak, skewed older. Um, what we, you know, I've got, this is pure speculation on my part, but I've got to imagine that some of those elderly people that got sick from Jensen Farm cantaloupe were people that cut the cantaloupe and put it in their refrigerators and their refrigerators were not properly temperature controlled or they left it in there for a long time, right? I mean, again, remember these are typically elderly people, maybe women living alone, right? At least 75% were women, right? So maybe it's a woman living alone, you know, typically doesn't, doesn't eat a Lot, you know, doesn't you know, not not a high, not a high, um, uh, highly active person, not not a a terribly a person eating uh, eating a lot. You know, maybe they're a little bit forgetful. Something gets pushed to the back of the fridge, and then they bring it back out and they leave it on the counter. And you know, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine all the potential scenarios that could come into play here. Because again, I still and what we know with or what what i have heard with respect to bluebell is that there were deficient practices in the hospitals of making the milkshakes made from this ice cream and again i'm not trying to apologize for the frozen food industry i'm not trying to apologize for bluebell there shouldn't be listeria in those food products but I really firmly believe that Listeria is a microorganism that only causes illness at high doses, and so the question I have to ask is, how did those products get up to high enough doses to have a reasonable probability of causing illness? We, I, you know, I firmly believe, and until someone shows me data otherwise, I firmly believe that if these people were eating a, a, a hundred Listeria cells. They wouldn't be getting sick. They've got to be getting higher doses, uh, and 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 so the question is, how did the product get up to those doses? Was it consumer handling? Was it maybe it, maybe they were coming out of this processing plant at higher doses? Right? We just we just don't know any of that. But right. but I've but I, there's so I'm there's still a lot here that that I would like to know. And of course, I'm sure, and again, not to beat up on on our regulatory and, and public health colleagues, I'm sure if they felt confident in telling us they would, but they don't, they, they're not going to say anything unless they can be sure about it. We're um, relatively sure about it. And so we, and we may never know, honestly, we may never know.
0: We know, Yeah, absolutely. And, and the thing that, you know, I, I don't think we should, But um, I think CDC does a really good job at telling us that they don't know stuff, right? Like that's more than, more than others and I, you you put something in the dropbox folder that i want to use to exemplify that in a second but, but they are i mean they, right up front they're like this we don't know we're we're investigating this um and and they've been um there i mean there's two things about about that <laughs> one um is that uh last week uh some information came out that chipotle took a stab at them Back in uh, in the fall, about sharing too much or not, you know, n- not doing things right, and they had a lawyer who sent them a, uh, sent CDC a message saying you're being um, unreasonable and stop doing this. And then CDC responded publicly. And, and overall, you, you know, I don't want to go too much into the, the details of that, other than say I think they do a pretty good job at saying we don't know a lot of stuff, and that's what they did, you know, what what they've done here, um, but. There's probably some questions that we have that would only really be of interest to us and, and those who are trying to figure out how to deal with this down the road that, that they're not maybe, you know, um, uh, posting about here, which is how it's prepared, how it's handled. The, the other thing that, that neither of us have kind of talked about on this um, is is around cross-contamination. And I just don't know. I mean – I don't like I don't know what the risk is like there. I, I assume that it's pretty pretty low, but is that what you're talking about when it comes to leftovers is maybe there's some cross contamination from this frozen product to something that's then going to sit in the refrigerator for, you know, a week, 10 days? Is well, is that that, what you're that's,
2: that's a good question. That was not what I was thinking. We, we do, again, this is all hearsay regarding Bluebell, but what I heard was that they had milkshake mixers that they didn't adequately clean. And so you get some uh, ice cream debris, you get some listeria in the ice cream debris, and then you basically store that at room temperature because you don't clean it. That was not what I was thinking. But but certainly, no, I, with leftovers more, I was thinking more, this is an example of a food product that has low levels of listeria. You give it an insufficient heat heat treatment gotcha. you yeah. warm it up you eat half of it you put it back in your fridge and your fridge is not at the right temperature and then you incubate it for a week and then you bring it out and you heat it again not adequately or maybe you take a bite cold or uh, you know or or whatever you leave it you know you you let it you slack it out on the counter i mean i'm just trying to imagine yeah. scenarios that encourage growth but yeah that's possible that this is a food product that would you know i mean there there could be some cross contamination but again on a with so with with, with salmonella, uh, definitely you get some salmonella on the counter and then you touch your finger to that counter you touch your finger to your mouth um, even one salmonella cell there's going to be a chance of illness that's not going to happen with right even 100, I think, with even 100 listeria cells. And so you've got, to me, to get illness from listeria, you've got to have some amplification somewhere in in the process. And cross-contamination might lead to that. So I guess you could try to imagine a scenario where, where frozen vegetables with listeria would cross-contaminate something that you don't hold at room temperature or that you don't hold in the refrigerator. But again, that's going to be a food that's probably not going to support the growth of listeria. So, I mean, you know, maybe you get some listeria on some bread. Um, You know, I just don't, I I can't, I don't really see, I don't really see a scenario where you're going to get amplification. Um, So, but again, we've, there's just a lot that we don't know and it would be great to, to get uh, some guys from t- CDC in the corner of a dark bar and ply them with drinks and get them to spill their guts, or, or maybe even maybe even there's somebody that listens to this podcast, um, you know, that works for a state agency that might know something. Uh, I don't know. Did, is there any? Uh, where were there any? Were there any cases in? Uh, I don't know. <clears throat> New York State. Yeah.
0: I, I, I don't know. Uh, so do you know I... anybody
2: in California, or Washington, or Maryland, then
0: uh, I, I do. I do know some of those people. I know some. We should uh, ho- hopefully maybe some of them are going to listen to this and uh, reach drop out time, as they say. Yeah, drop drop us. Uh, you know, a little uh, little deep throat uh, uh, Type <laughs> type uh, contact. That's what I'm talking.
2: About. We're talking. We're talking Watergate and parking we're, garages, yeah, not yeah, yeah. The X-rated. Uh...
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't don't Google that. <laughs> don't Google that. Don't, no. Don't Google that. Uh, <laughs> hey, so so let me let me pose a question to you. Okay. That came to us from um, a listener. Uh, it came to me. Uh, from a listener Um, and and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name uh, name her but those who listen to the the podcast um, religiously might know that uh, she supplied me with a um, uh, service bell oh there it is that I actually brought today that is now in my office that is not that it's not nap so you sure I'm positive it's good it sounds good doesn't it it sounds very good okay so here's the here's the text um, as as it relates to um, not ready, ready frozen foods, uh, all the stuff that we're we're just talking about. Um, and the question was, lots of questions from pregnant friends about safety of frozen fruit with the recalls, and specifically frozen fruit. Um, and she said, I talked about viruses, but they want to know listeria risk. Is it low because of pH? And I, you know, my answer was it's a risk in any of the not ready to eat fruits too. pH could be a factor or said it is a factor, but when frozen fruits end up in a smoothie with a whole bunch of low acid stuff, all bets are off. And so being um, uh, the um, more to the point uh, individual, uh, she said, okay, so if your wife were pregnant, you would not want her to eat frozen berries and smoothies without heating it first. And so which is, that—that's there's the risk management question, right? And my answer, uh, from a risk management standpoint, was, yep, that's right. They're, those barriers aren't heat treated at all. So, right, uh, what, what how, you know, do you have a? Would you have a different risk management decision, Don, if you, or, or, or are you seeing this kind of the same way that I am?
2: No, I would have exactly the same risk management decision, right? If this is a person that is uh, susceptible, that is, it's a small child, it's a pregnant woman, it's uh, an elderly person, uh, I, no, you, should, you shouldn't you should be eating those foods um, without, without heat treatment. You shouldn't be eating those foods, period. Or if you're going to eat them, you need to heat treat them. And that includes deli meats, uh, that includes uh, frozen uh, fruits and vegetables. Yeah, I mean... It's, it's unfortunate, and probably most deli meats and most frozen fruits and vegetables are perfectly fine. But uh, yeah, it's probably a, a best a best practice to uh, to heat those first. And again, again, we've been talking about that. I don't think we would have seen this outbreak if we hadn't had some amplification. But you know, if it's your spouse that's pregnant. Geez, um, you're not going to want to take any chances with that. And you know, and again, I've seen at food safety meetings, I've seen pregnant colleagues of ours um, refuse a salad that has uh, deli meats on it Absolutely. because you know it's it's just it it's a it's a vanishingly small risk. But why take that chance?
0: And, and for me, I'm all about. I mean, the question is: Is this a not ready to eat food? And, and I think the answer is: Some of them are not ready. And some of them are ready, right? Like it, it takes this like step of, okay, let me check what it says in the directions. Let me see if they need me to heat it to like, like there's a lot of, um, specifics that, that for that type of food, I would just say, no, you know what? I'm just going to heat treat it all. And, and, and it's that, that's, you know, that, that's the risk management decision because the consequence is really high. Losing a fetus, right? Well, and and I would say if the company
2: says on the – it's like triple washed, right? If the company says that it's triple washed, I'm going to trust that it's clean. If the company says this is a ready-to-eat food that has been heat-treated, it is safe to consume in its frozen state, if it explicitly says something like that on the package, well, then that's fine. I would say I would trust the company in that instance. I think what you're going to see more of the time is you're going to see an absence of any statement, or you're going to see something that's not as definitive and declarative about the safety of that product, and in which case you need to to be conservative.
0: Yeah, and this is where where I think I would, I, I, I my um, irrationality deviates from that. Mm-hmm. If it if there's a step that I can take, and, and and here's an you know here's an example, right? Like we've got. Um, a company here that, that clearly was a massive supplier of frozen fruits and vegetables, you know, just based on the pure number of uh, products, like 400 that are being recalled. And then just today, FDA's has uh, posted some more press releases from other com- companies um, with uh, these frozen products being used as ingredients.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I look at it and go, you know, yeah, I'm – I'm more likely to trust that company if I'm not in a susceptible group, but if I'm in a susceptible group, I'm still going to st- like I'm going to do something different. Like I'm going to because I can, right? Like because I I can add another step. And in in this case, this other step it's a little different from triple washing for me because this step has some validation that i can do something more if that listeria has made it through the system it's a good point right i mean virtually looking at this list, there's pretty much not
2: anything on this list, especially the vegetable products that you're not going to want to heat anyway. So why not just, why not just heat it, right? Lima beans, peas, corn, why not just heat it anyway? Right. And then the, the, the berries, it's a little bit weird, but you know, either don't eat them or yeah, if you're going to eat them them, or heat them, right.
0: Yeah. Or heat them. And, And that, and, and just, you know, that, that's the, you know, I don't know. That's, that's the way that I've been, I've been looking at it uh, for this one. I, so before we leave this, um, world of, of frozen, uh, vegetables and, and foods, um, I looked, you know, I mentioned that I looked up some, some recipes and, and there's a lot of, you know, sort of recipes out there for, um, for frozen foods. So I'm going to read, I'll I'll send you these so we can include them in the, in the show notes, but I, I just Googled like frozen green bean recipes and bettycrocker.com has one that says um here's your ingredients get 4 cups of green giant select frozen whole green beans get some butter garlic and some parmesan cheese directions cook the green beans as directed on the bag to desired doneness okay that's good so then i go to the bag and i google what the bag says for directions Microwave directions, and these are microwavable in the bag. Uh, Place the unopened bag on a microwavable plate. Microwave on high for four and a half to seven minutes. There's a little bit of variability there. Or until thoroughly heated. What does that mean, Don? I think it
2: means that the heat is thorough.
0: Thorough. like They mean piping hot.
2: The right right. piping hot yes um uh, now. yeah well and of course no information about the wattage of the oven not that not that people would care but we do know that oven wattages make make a big difference and uh, yeah what is what does that mean right I mean again you know people should should go out and buy a thermometer and uh, yeah that's that would be a good idea
0: Now, now mm. let me let me come back to it because as I get down to the end of the package it does say, for food safety and quality, follow the directions and cook thoroughly to at least 160 degrees Fahrenheit. But why not put it right where you're giving them the directions? Yeah, where, where, what, where is that relative to this other? At That's ridiculous. Bo- at the bottom, at the bottom. That's
2: ridiculous. It is
0: ridiculous. And this is um, this actually goes into a project that we've been working on for the last 18 months, looking at um, uh, cookbook recipes and food safety. And the directions that are provided in popular cookbooks. It's so inconsistent. And it's it's like it's almost like a menu when it comes to risk and disclosure. Let's not take away from this is the thought process, I think, is let's not take away from the art of telling people how to cook things by saying you need to cook it to a certain temperature. Let's tell them the the fun stuff of how do you cook it until it's thoroughly cooked and piping hot. And then somewhere. In the recipe on the page at the bottom, maybe at the front of the cookbook, we'll say, you know, when we said for th- thoroughly, um, you know, on page 174, what we really mean is cook it to 135 degrees Fahrenheit. And it, I don't, I don't get, I don't know. It's fr- it's frustrating to me. It's like it goes against, and maybe this is the, this is the the problem. It kind of goes against what we want people to do that we know works when it comes to risk communication and, and and it's probably because people who write cookbooks don't think that they're risk communicators or people who write directions on the back of a green giant package don't think that they're risk communicators but in you know they are <laughs> so yeah do, so do it right yeah and and here's the thing
2: like the the that the website with the with the cooking directions for the frozen green beans, it's got a little click here to read more. and then and then you don't yeah. even. Read the directions until you until you read more, and then the last sentence, as you said, is for food safety and quality. Follow the directions and cook thoroughly to at least 160 Fahrenheit. Well, why not have that be the first sentence in the instructions? Is that what you just said, right? I mean, for yeah. food safety and quality, follow the directions below and cook thoroughly to at least 160. Directions. Directions. Right, and yeah, th- and, yeah and then go from there. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, it is. It is percent natural and gluten free, Ben. It is. It is. And which, you know, I really want to know that
0: because I'm really, I'm really worried about the gluten in my green beans. I know you are. Also, oh my gosh my my phones my phones ringing everywhere, my my everything just vibrated. Um, so the other thing is it how, was an earthquake. It was. It might have been an earthquake. How about this? Caution, hot. With an exclamation mark mark, avoid steam. So we're worried about certain things, burns. That's a risk. But we're not as concerned about following the directions. Now, this could be a numbers thing. What's the what you know, how many people actually burn themselves off of this product versus the number of listeria illnesses we get? It's probably that's you know, that maybe that's that's a risk management decision. Um but but you got you're using the real estate on the on the text. Why not just put it directly in there? I don't know. Yeah,
2: yeah, you know, and it's it's interesting that you. One of the things that that I they put uh, in, in for our discussion is again another another uh, what I thought. I'm Slate for whatever reason is hitting on all cylinders with me recently, and this is not about food safety, um, but it would basically was a uh, uh, a uh, uh, an article on. We- cooking websites. Oh right? yeah, yeah, and yeah, uh, and it's and the, the title of the article is if you if you are what you eat. America is all recipes, as in allrecipes.com. Um, and it says the the nation's most popular uh, recipe site reveals the enormous gap between foodie culture and what people actually cook. And it really talks about you know all these fancy. Cooking websites and and versus, versus the ones that people really go to for like how to cook American food, uh, which is apparently AllRecipes.com. So again, it's not it's it's related in that it's about about cooking websites and 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 directions and whatnot, but not not directly related. But again, I thought it was really I mean this the the world is the world is changing, like right? we're we're moving to this internet-based uh, way of learning about stuff and including um, getting food safety information from from our packages or or cooking directions. And so it's it's just I don't know it's just another Another uh, um, uh, article that sort of points to that same
0: thing. Yeah, this um, I really enjoyed this this article. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Good. I feel like go ahead, caller. Uh, (laughs) um, And 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 I think it really does connect with what we're talking about here because I'm going to read you my my favorite passage here. Uh, Mm -hmm. For all of the cooking shows, um, stuff that I get all excited about on foodie stuff. Mm Um, it says, for the most part, the Hall of Fame recipes are dishes that don't require exotic, expensive adi- ingredients. They're familiar. They're unpretentious. More than anything, they're a reminder that although the conversation about food moves at light speed, with new trends pinging across social media accounts daily, our actual cooking habits change much more slowly. So let's go back to these directions. How many people who are who are purchasing and and using frozen green beans – are doing so for the very first time, probably very few, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like it's a familiar food. So even if, you know, not to blow holes in my own argument here, even if that label had the right things on it, I wonder how many people would even look at it. And the familiarity with that, with that product is, is about, cooking it over and over again, someone else preparing it for you, being familiar with frozen foods. The, the part that's unfamiliar, which is really the crux of, of our conversation today is frozen foods might carry listeria and they're not ready to eat. Right. Like that, that part is probably surprising. It's, right. And, and that, that, so it's, I don't know. I don't know what to, I don't know what to do with that, but I, th- I thought this, like, I, I'm glad you, you included this this Slate article we pulled it for for Barf Blog, um, like the same time you you saw it. Um, it, or maybe you saw it from one of the Barf Blogs. I don't know, whatever it was. Yeah, um, it's it, it was um, it, it just kind of says people are going to do what they know, and it's that is really hard to change those behaviors. And, and this is this is one of them. It's like, well, what kind of new information can we give someone who's probably pretty familiar about? cooking green beans because they purchased it and they know how to, to make it. Well, we probably should tell them that it, that it needs to be heat treated. But I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this is the way people are
2: getting information. And so, yeah, it would be fantastic if we could work with people like allrecipes.com and, and say, okay, so what are some ways that you can provide feedback on cooking, right? And, and you know, uh, directions and, and, and safety. Cause, cause this is obviously a resource that people are using.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, the, and we can get, to get that, the correct messages to them. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's kind of part of the, what we're going to try and do with this, with this paper that we've been working on the statistics for, because we have like this massive data set of, well, massive for us uh, on you know, a, a couple of thousand recipes and looking at differences. And, and really, I think what we're struggling with is trying to tell the story quickly, which is um, there's not a lot of good information in cookbooks about food safety. Like that's, that, that's, that's what the press release is going to say after we publish it. Right. Um, hey, so speaking of Slate. Yes. I talked to some, some, some Slate guys or a Slate guy, Stephen Curse. Okay. And, and you or I, someone pulled the, uh, the paper and it was about triple wash, straight eat stuff. Oh yes. Yes. And I just wanted to highlight something that was made me kind of happy um and so I, I spoke with the with the journalist steven we had a really, really he, uh, lovely conversation he asked some fantastic questions um and i'm going to get to the comments um uh in a bit um but i one of my favorite things that's been said about something that i said uh was a quote that i made uh that that he picked up which was um in something that we've talked about a bunch i can't i said quote i can't do any better with the tools i have at my home than what the processor did. And this is in relation to washing triple wash greens again. Mm-hmm. There's no net risk reduction potential for me to wash. I'm literally not doing anything by washing it at home. End of quote. And Stephen writes, he dryly reports. Yes. <laughs> so I was being very dry when I said that, I
2: guess. Yes, yes. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's, about, it's about getting the produce dry after you triple wash it, then that's the key.
0: That's, that must be the key. Um, so in in this, uh, in, in this article, um, uh, Stephen does a really cool job about doing stuff that we talk about, which is ask a lot of questions. If, if people want, um, to know more about food safety, uh, the industry really needs to step up and give people more information about it and talk about how there are risks and not everything is risk-free and share what they do and, and all that good stuff. And he tells a fantastic story about how he called people, and they didn't answer him. So he writes, I initially took my questions to Salad Green producers themselves. Of the few companies that responded, most were tight-lipped. Quote, we don't discuss our business practices, I was told by the PR director of Trader Joe's, as if I were a rival firm rather than a customer. Quote, unfortunately, we won't be able to participate with input for your article, I was told by the communicators of, uh, communications director at Dole, As if talking about food were beyond the scope of Dole's business Talk about Talk about your dry writing. I love it. He was so good. He
2: nails it. He absolutely nails it. And shame shame on Dole and shame on Trader Joe's for not talking about something as simple as this. Come on, guys. It's
0: crazy, right? Like you have a story to tell. The story is you really do stuff for food safety all the time, and here's what we do and and that's it right so there's a comment and then you so comment on the barf blog post which was from cr um when major companies don't want to answer the most general of questions about food it makes me very suspicious i responded saying i agree i like to suggest people ask questions because food safety is uh non-competitive and all and then you respond food safety is not competitive someone should tell those companies ridiculous yeah
2: just ridiculous
0: it is ridiculous why why don't we do this why don't we Uh, i don't know I blame the lawyers. I blame the lawyers, and in that, in the people that don't know about risk communication. Yeah, yeah. Well, but maybe that's it. Maybe we're just. I'm just too. I'm too biased on this whole thing. Um, speaking of Dole, they uh, they were also uh, their triple washing was in the news some more.
2: Oh my gosh! <coughs> yes, yes. That they're uh, they're in some deep uh, deep doo
0: doo, Ben. A little bit. So I want we you and I have not talked about this. I did talk with. Um, Our good friend, Michelle Daniluk, because I had some questions for her, and she knows this world a little more than I do. But we'll link to the 483 report or 483 form from um, uh, FDA that relates to um, the inspection of Dole after uh, they had uh, listeria positive and were linked to an outbreak. And it was like 20 people plus, I think... Four deaths, maybe. Uh, I could be wrong on that. It's at least one in the U.S. and I think three in Canada. Um, And so a bunch of people went through freedom of information, um, and there was, like, a whole pissing match on who got the information first on this. So Marler posted it, and then the Pritzker folks posted it, and then um, I did an interview with uh, someone at the – I think it's called the Springfield – uh, new son uh, Matt Sanctus, who also went through for uh, at FOIA to get it. Anyway, they got the the document, and it and it shows that um, through the investigation, FDA says that Dole found um, Listeria generic Listeria nine times in between 2014 and 2016, not on food contact surfaces in their facility, and then it kind of says. let me read directly from the 483 here. Um, The QA manager stated on January 26, 2016, that the Environmental Program Corrective Action Report is a new requirement, um, and uh, they provided a copy of the testing procedure and... um, There are two corrective action steps, quote, locations which test positive for the presence of listeria will be thoroughly cleaned and retested until results are negative. Once a negative test has been confirmed, three weekly consecutive tests will be performed thereafter, and then they have to complete an environmental program corrective action report, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, my question for you, Don, is what do you think about the the procedure of if you find listeria... That you thoroughly clean something and retest until it's negative. I think that's a good procedure. I think it's a good procedure. I think it's incomplete. Maybe. Okay. In, so here's here's why. I think. Well, there's no root cause. Right. Right. But, Where did the listeria come from? <laughs> I just broke my bell. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, that was quick. They're hard on those bells. <laughs> Veronica, I might need another one. <laughs> um, um, yeah, they don't. So. I mean that's that that's the pro- that's the problem with listeria to me. If you're looking for resident versus transient, if you just clean and sanitize, and they don't even say sanitize, right? Like they just say we're just going to clean it and retest until the results are negative. You never get to the point of whether knowing whether it's resident or not. And in this case, this outbreak absolutely based on whole genome sequencing and um uh, as c d c points out very, very close I don't think they use two varies, but close genetic match used confirmed through whole gene, genome sequencing says to me that there's a bunch of of um well at least one strain of uh resident Listeria at this plant, and then their procedure was not built to find it, right. Right. And I think that, yeah, and,
2: and there's been a lot of listeria in the news. And I think that this is just, again, redoubling is going to encourage the industry to redouble their efforts, whether whether you're making frozen foods or whether you're making, um, you know, salads uh, or, or fresh, uh, you know, triple wash uh, leafy greens. Um, you know, that this this is this is going to be this is going to be something the industry is really going to have to, again, redouble their efforts on.
0: Yeah. And I don't know what the answers are. And not, I, I say that that sounds awful it's because it makes it sound like I should know what answers are or I, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that mm-hmm. was just a really pretentious thing to say. But no, I don't think anyone really knows exactly how to solve this. And what's probably scary to the industry is that the agencies are getting pretty good at connecting illnesses back in time.
2: Yep. Yep
0: as we talked about several episodes yeah. ago you know uh
2: are you better than you were 10 years ago that yes you might be better at food safety than you were 10 years ago but are you 10 times better because that's the level of resolution that the radar is 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 honing down on right like like whole genome sequencing is is linking stuff that hasn't been previously linked so you better you better get your your act together cuz it's coming yeah. right it's here it's here it's not coming it's here
0: and this is a really interesting one. Like I, we've talked about whole genome sequencing, and I got into this text conversation with Michelle about this. Um, it is one of the few examples that I can think of where the industry has no chance of staying against or staying ahead of the regulators, because they don't have access to the database, right? Like, so if I if I was Dole or if I was Firm A or Company B. And I had uh, just a catalog of um, listeria, generic listeria positives that that were in my facility, and I um, I can't go to CDC right now and say, can you match these up with PulseNet for illnesses from ten years ago? Right, like there's there's no there there's not a way for them to stay ahead of it because. Because what there, there's no incentive to do that. The, because if it is in there, um, now I know that I've been linked to illnesses that happened a while ago, and if I'm not in there, it doesn't tell me anything.
2: Well, isn't yeah? But isn't there this Volnet thing that the industry is working on?
0: Yeah, yeah. We should talk to somebody about that. I think I think our friend um, Michael Roberson mentioned that a while mm-hmm. ago to us. I think we should uh, look look at that. I let's let's do a little more more digging on this you yeah
2: know. well and if, you know when you when you when you google volnet food safety um you don't really find anything on it so whatever it is they're not talking about it much but you know that would be that would be an example of it would be great to again i, I and I realize it's all it's all like uh proprietary right uh and and i think it's they're building it slowly and 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 so what is it let me see i was just talking to um uh, actually somebody else from the industry that was explaining to me how it works and so basically as i recall and again please you know knows better than us how this works please please do contact us but the idea is that you will you submit your strains and if those strains have a get a match to something in PulseNet, you will find out, right? Isn't that the way it works?
0: Yeah. So I just found a paper. um, Let me uh, – we'll link to this in show notes. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. Let's do the – it is – From uh, clinical infectious diseases from last year, Mm -hmm. and it's uh, uh, Doyle et al. Mm -hmm. Um, Food industry's current and future role in preventing microbial foodborne illness within the United States. Um, On page eight, uh, page seven, it says, um, uh, similarly, the sharing of food safety data gathered during federal inspections of meat, poultry and egg product processing establishments um never mind volnet Mm -hmm. a recently launched joint initiative between cdc and the university of georgia's center for food safety and the food industry is an initial step towards achieving this goal in 2014 429 salmonella and 8 lm isolates were received from food companies to minimize liability issues foodborne pathogen isolates along with information on their source environmental or food type are provided to cfs anonymously for pfg analysis and the molecular patterns are submitted to the CDC for inclusion in PulseNet databases. That's it. Yeah. So it says it it's going to help identify emerging trends, but it doesn't. So I guess this is the, the point. Yes. There, wh- why would you do it? Well, because you can help complete the, the picture of, okay, I got this salmonella from this type of food or in this type of environment, but it doesn't give feedback back to the company. right Right. like that's and i guess that's that's my my i guess my point um is that right now there isn't a way for the industry to stay ahead of it like you're you are at the you are at the mercy of public health and i'm all i'm all for that i don't think that the industry gets that yet i think that the frozen food industry probably gets it pretty good today i think that the ice cream industry gets it i think that um you know, if we look at the macadamia nut, I think that was the first one that whole genome sequencing was used. They probably get it, but I don't think, and uh, uh, Apple industry, I think there are some folks who are following it that get it, but I don't, I mean, how do you, there, there isn't, it's not, there's just not good ways to, to share this data and to be able to be like, okay, heads up, we made someone sick six years ago from this, so we better deal with that somehow before CDC goes, goes public with this.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I don't know. It's we haven't got it
2: figured out yet, but uh, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully, it's getting better, Ben. It's
0: getting. It's gotta get better, Don. It's, every day it's getting a little bit better. There's a song about that. Every day things. Go... <laughs> Welcome on. to the musical portion of the show. Yeah, it's going like a roller coaster. My kids are really into. Oh, that's
2: a great song. It yes,
0: um, my kids are really into Drake right now, Don. Huh. Speaking of the musical portion of the show, Drake, heavy, heavy into Drake. You know about this guy? He's from Toronto. I, I, I don't know. Is he a duck? <laughs> uh, no, that's uh, he's not a duck. Uh, he also goes by the name of Drizzy. Uh-huh. You know, we all have we all have names uh, like uh, uh, um, like that. So uh, yeah, so Drake. That's oh yes, music.
2: artist on Apple Music, hip-hop/rap. Hip-hop/rap. hip hop slash rap, hip dash hop slash rap,
0: hip hip to the hop. Also broke <laughs> streaming records for his new album which is called views huh uh which was uh, uh it used to be called or before it was released was to be called views from the six as in views from the 416 and the 416 is uh what uh, the city of toronto is affectionately known as because that's the uh, area code 416
2: oh okay
0: um yeah so uh, so anyway check out check out the drake drizzy
2: Okay, I, I, all I got is uh, Rush Y Y Z.
0: No, do not, don't. That's wrong. Whatever you've done there, don't go back. He's, that's the wrong one. That's the wrong band. No, it's not. Uh, you know that we've talked about how there are two camps. There's the Neil Young camp, and there's the Rush camp. Why can't
2: there be both, is, Ben? Why can't we all get along?
0: Only Americans can be in both. Okay. Canadians, we gotta, we gotta. Pick you gotta a pick. Side. I we understand. Pick a side.
2: I understand. It's like the Jets and the Giants. Exactly. Sports ball reference.
0: Sports ball, yeah.
2: That's in the Yankees.
0: It's the New York. My kids want to know why the New York Jets stole the Winnipeg Jets name. And what did you tell them? I told them why well, the New York Jets had it first. Yeah. And, and my kids didn't believe me, so. Anyway, that was That's... when we were watching. We were listening to Drake. Okay,
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to some uh, YYZ right now. <laughs>
0: Go check out some views. views.
2: Did you know at the beginning of that song, um he is typing, he is tapping out Morse code for YYZ? I
0: did know that. Okay. Well, just so you know. Yeah, no, I, I knew that. Uh, also YYZ, horrible, horrible airport. <laughs> also, um, isn't that a zipper company? Yes. Which I believe is Canadian as well. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure if you uh, if we look that up. YYZ, YYZ zipper.
2: You hear my clicky? Uh... No, I hear like thumpy. Oh, it's thumpy. thumpy. It's like you're hitting your head against the microphone. Why,
0: why, why KK?
2: Why KK? Uh, well, whatever. Y K K. Why not KKK? I mean, no, why no, not. That's not what I meant.
0: Uh, also, yeah, no, no. Also, not, not, um, not Canadian at all. Huh. Uh, according to the Wikipedia page, uh, Japanese group of manufacturing companies. Okay. The largest uh, zipper manufacturer. And it stands for Yoshida. Kogia Kabushiki. Of course it does. Yeah, which means the uh, Yoshida Manufacturing Shareholding Company.
2: Sure. Also uh, a song by the Canadian band
0: Rush. Rush. No, I think you're thinking of uh, the Canadian... Rush Never Sleeps. Rush never... Yeah, Rush. <laughs> <laughs> it's better th- to zip out than uh, co- uh, Yoshida Away. There we go. Oh, gosh. There you go. There's a show title for you.
2: This uh, <laughs> rolls right off the tongue. does. It does. Hey, speaking of things uh, that I'm listening to and watching, um, the Night Manager. Um, oh
0: yeah, I saw
2: you post uh, really, this. really good uh, miniseries on AMC. We're three episodes in. It's a six-episode series. Um, really, it's based on the uh, best-selling novel by John Le um, uh, and it's a uh, uh, yeah, it's it's really good. So, the Night Manager, check that out.
0: I will check that out. Um, I thought that. Um, so, it, so here's why I asked, why I mentioned that is the YYK zipper mm-hmm. was Canadian. It's, uh, w- there's this myth that, uh, that a Canadian, uh, created the zipper, but it was actually a Swedish American engineer.
2: Sure. I get those confused all the time.
0: Gideon Sunback.
2: Sure. Yeah, so Gideon, we the... call him.
0: Not the Canadians, but his zippers were made in a St. Catherine's factory, and that skin huh. is in, is in, in Canada.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, so... All right, it all go. makes
0: sense now. Zippers, zip, zip, zip. Um, There's something else I wanted to ask you about. Sure. Where was it? Uh, so, uh, okay, so I mentioned this, I briefly mentioned this at the start mm-hmm. of the podcast. In fact, my opening... Um, my opening uh, monologue that's how i'm gonna go with this is you know mm-hmm. like uh, like letterman
1: mm-hmm.
0: um i mentioned that uh, podcasts are good at storytelling and engaging the brain mm-hmm. and creating networks and there was this super cool paper that came out of nature last week about it about semantic maps in that tile the human cerebral cortex cerebral cortex and so Um, I picked this up uh, by reading a little bit in the New York Times uh, coverage of it. And essentially, it says that when we listen to podcasts and we listen to stories specifically, we get lost in that story because our brains are connecting our specific experiences with the things that are um, being said uh, during the podcast. So probably someone who's listening to us today, when we were talking about, yyz and rush were thinking about their high school dance and dancing to uh rush songs it would be just, just by us mentioning rush took them to a different place that made it so they uh forgot where they were for a second oh well hopefully not while they were driving well in fact it's what it says is it actually happens when you're driving so uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts when
2: I'm driving I, I, I'm uh, should I stop Ben
0: No I think you should it makes the time go faster It does
2: make the time go way faster
0: and it's because it's because of science in the brain in your brain huh it was uh, yeah it, it was it was pretty cool so and it's predictable so um, so anyway they did some mind maps and did a whole bunch of different stuff but basically saying um, they modeled what what types of Um, social elements exist in uh, podcasts, and they they went with a podcast called The Moth Radio Hour. Are you familiar with this podcast? I
2: think I've heard of it just by reading that story.
0: (laughs) Yes, me too. Uh, So they uh, subjected people to listening to this Moth Radio Hour and then uh, mapped their brains and uh, were able to predict based on um, what... Um, the you know next episode was going to be where what types of the what parts of the brains were going to fire up and stuff and activity and all that good stuff. So anyway, basically, it's they were able to show that podcasts matter and they're compelling. So that's what well, we're trying to do.
2: Yes, and and on the topic of podcasts, because no one loves podcasts about podcasts more than podcast listeners, Ben, uh, um, is an article uh, just uh, two days ago from the New York Times uh, with the headline, Podcasts Surge but Producers Fear Apple Isn't Listening. And it's basically uh, an article that talks about how we need to monetize podcasts and Apple is letting us all down. And then the uh, the nerds on the internet um, uh, kind of reacted to that. And uh, there's a great blog post from uh, Marco Arment a, a podcaster and programmer whose, whose podcasts I have listened to, uh, and his opening line is Apple's actual role in podcasting, be careful what you wish for. Uh, and he talks about how the New York Times article actually gets a lot wrong and that actually everything is just fine with podcasts, and Apple needs to stay the heck out, and people that are going to try to monetize podcasts may just uh, create a race to the bottom, as they say, with uh, everything trying to be monetized, and which is why we have these ad-filled um uh hulking websites that are impossible to uh to navigate because everybody's trying to wring every last penny out of uh out of the podcast out of the, the web the web market and and he doesn't want the same thing to happen with podcasts. Oh, that's, that's a good point. I Which doesn't affect us at all no. because uh we're not trying to make any well I don't know if we're trying to make any money. We're not, making, we're not any, making money. This is a labor of love. This is a hobby. This is uh this is costing us money. Um
0: but but Ben we do it for for love. We do it for love. We do it for, for us, for the people. For the people. Um, we do it because we do – yeah, Don, we do it because what else would we do for a couple of hours every couple of weeks? Exactly. You know, we would tear our heads out about uh, um, dealing with our own business centers and uh, our eyes, whatever the right terminology yeah. is. I, so on monetizing things because mm. I know so little about it, I did mm-hmm. listen to a really interesting podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, my my favorite podcast, the Bill Simmons podcast, which is the sports guy, mm-hmm. um, he interviewed uh, or not interviewed, had this conversation with a billionaire investor, Chris Saka. Mm-hmm. Do you know about this guy? Chris Saka. I, I don't. So he was he was at Google for a while and then he went to Twitter. And his, I listened to this podcast while I was working out of the gym. I loved it. Chris Saka talked about the concept at Google, which was... Which kind of blew people away in the um, tech world for a while, which was you're doing all this stuff, but you give it all away for free. And the philosophy at Google while Chris Saka was there, this is when they were building Gmail, Mm -hmm. when they were building, um, looking at YouTube, I mean, a whole bunch of different things. Basically, they said, look, we are collecting so much data on people and their use that the monetizing happens. It, we don't have to worry about ads. We don't have to worry about it. If we can just get people to use our platform and they search more, that's how we make money, searching. Well, and, well, and here's the thing. So then
2: this is people have said this. This is not an original thought about Google, but people have said with Google and other things, if, if, if there is a service that you are using and it is free, it is not really for free. Right. And what is being sold is you. And your information, right? And so, of course, that's how Google makes its money, by serving us up ads on on our Gmail or on our search pages or whatever. And and as long as people are okay with that, then that's fine.
0: Just like watching over-the-air television is not free. Exactly. There's commercials, Ben. There's commercials. Yeah. So
2: why is this podcast free? (laughs) I don't know.
0: (laughs) You know, I guess in a sense – If we look to let's get all real deep here, Uh the people of the state of New Jersey and the people of the state of North Carolina uh, pay uh, some salaries to to do this. Oh, my gosh. So there you go. Oh, my gosh. It's not free. It's just free in Montana. But but why are
2: they (laughs) – well, I don't know about you, but I think I get—I think some money comes from the feds to pay my part of my oh, salary. Probably, yeah. yeah I, I don't think know. that's, that's the, the part that I'm using for the podcast. Yeah.
0: So the federal. So your oh, federal a, tax dollars.
2: Now, now, if you are if you are a European uh, risk assessor, wait, a part?
0: To. Is this a party game? <laughs> Pretend yeah. you're a European risk assessor, Don. You're wearing a purple hat. You have a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> you walk into a bar. You walk into uh, yeah. Um, uh, you died. You have dysentery. That's it. <laughs> it's an Oregon Trail reference. Uh, okay, go ahead. So if you're ever a European risk assessor. Then you are getting this for free. Yeah, you're getting there it for free. No, I'm not getting
2: paid any money uh, from, no. the, from the world government.
0: No, there's one. And there's we know Shout there's one, one European risk assessor who gets this for free. Just one? Well, there's one that we know of who likes, who <laughs> likes to tweet at us every once in a while. He does. He does. Yeah, I, li- I like that guy. I do. I wish, I wish he would come back. I'm going to say this. We're going to talk about him in third person, not directly to him. <laughs> I wish we would see him at IAFP. I'd like to, I like to hang out at receptions where other people provide us free drinks um, and and talk uh, talk with him. I like him a lot. Yes. So uh, so you should come back. Yes. Come come to IAFP. Come to IAFP. We'll buy you cake. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. All right. What do you? What else you got, Don? What do you got? You got something else for us?
2: Uh oh there's so much Ben I put so many many things into the really? um, oh you know uh, I I actually let's uh, well we could talk about we could talk about raw milk and Dave yes. Dumpert we could we could I'm not sure if we should um <sighs> uh we could talk about uh well we did talk about uh uh that uh, that great uh, thing from um John Oliver uh, there's a wonderful thing called uh uh, when bad research is not critically reported by journalists, um, uh, which, again, sort of gets back to this, the same uh, central central point. But I think I think what I really want to talk about is O milk. Oh, milk. Oh, milk. I'm sad, Ben. I'm sad to let you know. That O oh. Milk has decided to close up shop. Yeah. it was a difficult decision. They put in a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Hopefully, not into the O Milk, but just into the 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 the, the literal O Milk. Um, but they were faced with a number of challenges that prevented them from growing and sustaining this business. Now, you may ask yourself, why was I looking on the O? And well, first of all, you may be asking, what is O Milk? Well, O Milk is a, uh, a, a basically an, an almond milk product. Um, uh, that was started uh, on a whim at the Brooklyn Flea Market, um, and uh, and the reason why I I decided to go to the the vegan and almond cashew milk O Milk website was I got a LinkedIn request from the the chief milk officer of O Milk, the CMO. <laughs> Yeah, CMO, and I said I, that's just fascinating. I want to learn more about this uh, company, and uh, I discovered it has, it has gone out of business. So, but at least I am now LinkedIn friends with the uh, co-founder and chief milk officer of O of Milk. So, um, which it turns out, um, actually, it's a kind of a it was a cool looking website. It was is a good idea, and I, I'm sorry that they, they didn't make a go of it. Uh, turns out the guy was a, a chemical engineer, so he actually was a, a scientist who who got into uh, into food science. So, I feel. Uh, I feel like uh, he sent me a LinkedIn request too late for me to help him. But but anyway, wish him well with this next uh, business venture.
0: Uh, the uh, the O milk, if, for those who are interested, um, they have uh, almond milk and cashew milk. Had, 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 used to have. Um, and uh, ingredients uh, water, almonds, uh, agave nectar, sea salt, and uh, keeps refrigerated eight to 10 days. There you go. I. Uh, uh, I wonder. I don't know. Do well, you think they got? Uh, think they pasteurized that?
2: I hope they do. I bet they do. I bet they do. sure they do. I would think so. I can't. I can't imagine they would be this. They look like they got their act together.
0: Based on their website, people website. people make good websites. <laughs> people make people can make some good websites out there. That's too bad about the oat milk. Yeah. Um, also, uh, you know the tagline: the milk without the moo.
2: The milk without the moo.
0: They're just oo milk. Maybe it's oo milk. No, it's omel.
2: Om. Oh, it's got a little, it's om, om, like om mani padme om. Om, and it's got a little, uh, it's got O with a little, uh, that little Sanskrit thing in it.
0: Yeah. I think that, you know what that Sanskrit is? It's uh, Sanskrit for pasteurized.
2: is, Is that
0: what that is? It is, Yeah. Think so. Ah, oh. um, you
2: know another 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 fun thing that we can talk about here in the in the the post main show cool down period as yeah, yeah. we. Call it. Um, is a really a very cool uh, blog post by uh, the the person who created uh, academics say, or or bleep academics say, um, which is uh, like how he this person created ostensibly one of the most influential academic social media accounts, reaching upwards of twenty four million views a month across platforms.
0: It's bleep academics say is quite fun. It is, and this is the. And we'll
2: link to this in the show notes. This is a. This is actually a really interesting blog post about how to create uh, a, a. What appears to be a really a very cool and very successful. Uh, uh, Twitter account and other stuff, and I have to say I really love. Um, uh, bleep uh, bleep academic say or or the, uh, from the Twitter handle academic say. So he's left out the uh, the curse word there. So, um, yeah, it's it's a good it's a it's a it's really it's it's kind of. Uh, Im- uh, it's it's great that he was able to... and I feel a little jealous I think is, is what I'm trying to get at Ben I'm a little jealous that uh, that he was able to create this this massively uh, 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 wonderful uh, account um, and so congratulations to him well even yeah. I'm a little jealous
0: and so I a lot of the talks that I've given um, that relate to social media over the last little while I try to take attributes of like what seems to work and what can I we learn and and so when you and I um, were in uh, Washington at the NORACOR meeting. Um, I gave a talk on social media and NOROCOR and some of the stuff that we're doing with parody accounts and just like exploring this online world. And and I have like various versions of a slide that says I, I don't I mean I don't write it like, hey, here are my tips or these are the things that we know from the literature. It's it's a it's a slide of a hand holding a glass slide, um, and on that glass slide are some words that I write in black text. And um, some of those words, um, like, so these, let me pull it up here so I can... Look okay. at it. Says here are my things: listen, participate, create, engage, and it's hard. Those are like kind of the the running things about where I can build any talk around social media. And I read through this um, this blog post about you know this unpacking um, academics say, and it's really got the very similar like types of things. It's like here's opportunity, authority, the language, why I chose certain things, how I format it, what what my ratios are, how I brand it. I mean, it's like this is very um, this is very insightful stuff. Uh, on the, on that background behind, for people that, that do construct messages in social media, it's kind of cool. Well, and and I have to say too, uh, I will read just one
2: sentence from this, this blog post under the first bullet point opportunity. That's the last sentence, which I think resonates with you and me. You don't need to be great when there's no competition. You just need to show up and Ben. That's what we do. That's what we're doing. That
0: was an echo. <laughs> that should have been two-channeled.
2: Number, number one. Number one in food safety podcasts, Ben. Number one. Yeah. Out of mm, one and a half.
0: Number one. Yeah. One, well, as I was t- tweeting or tweeting, texting you last week, um, that I spent a little bit of time uh, going through and listening to other podcasts tagged food safety, and uh, there's really not much else out there.
2: Yeah. So you don't, we don't need to be great, Ben. We just need to show up. That's right. And I, and, and Ben, we have been showing up. Let me tell you. Oh, we have been showing up for 101 episodes now.
0: We show up every 2 weeks now. Every time we show up. Every time we show up, we're here. So <laughs> And when we don't, we're so never Yogi Berra-ism. I just made that up. Um so speaking of, I'm going to text you something else to put in the show notes. Mm-hmm. There is one really cool story um, from uh, CDC's uh, Emerging Infectious Diseases podcast, yes. which uh, I want to note, and this is from a year ago, um, uh, May uh, 2015, um, and it's a discussion um, with um, Paul Mead about the Mead paper, as it's yes. affectionately known mm-hmm. uh, in our circles, uh, going back to, um, uh, to 1999 on estimating the burden of foodborne illness and that's since been updated and is now known A uh, new paper is uh, affectionately known as the scallon paper but uh, um this uh discussion between paul mead and peter dropman uh, is really cool cool it's a, just a short story 30 minutes long um but the audio is horrible yeah cool story out there that's not yeah. us
2: yeah 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 and, and not really any competition because uh Uh, While they showed up, they showed up with lousy microphones.
0: Showed up with the lousy mics. All you gotta get is a good mic.
2: So anyway, speaking of bleep, um, apparently um, there's a way that you can send a piece of bleep in a box uh, around the world and poop uh, in the box. Poop poop in the box, yes. Or uh, if you read, I think it's uh, pronounced Shite Express.
0: Shite Express. (laughs) Have you done this yet? No, I have not done this. And I hesitate to
2: mention it because people might send it to us. Uh,
0: oh well, uh, they shouldn't.
2: They shouldn't do that. But send it to send it to people you don't like and tell us about it.
0: Okay, here's the deal. Yeah, you, you got to think that if someone sent you this, it would it be, would be not- out of love. It would be a notable day, right? <laughs> it, it would be something. What if you could send them a smelly surprise? There's nothing that could replace the expression on a recipient's face after opening the box. What do you do? Choose an animal. Give us an address. Pick a sticker. Pay and stay anonymous. It's only uh, it's only sixteen
2: ninety five. It's that's cheap, Ben. Cheap, yeah. but cheap at twice the price.
0: Send it's, glo- it's gluten free, man. It's yeah, gluten free. It's gluten free. <laughs> it's gluten free. Um, as seen on uh, places uh, that you might know about, um, distractify, the Daily Dot. Uh, think. Of, let me think of other things I've never heard of. Cafe Monk. <laughs> huh? The bro, <laughs> the bro Bible um
2: inspiration feed
0: inspiration yeah inspiration feed phenomenal bro bible the bro bible <coughs> beta beat uh which is not it's like the beta band uh and uh yahoo brazil <laughs> <laughs> not yahoo but yahoo brazil. Yeah, brazil yahoo brazil it's the Rio <laughs> yahoo uh yeah uh shite express uh go go check that out yeah um uh you you put something in that I I'm just interested in. I, what's the background on PRX? I don't know. I because just... it's I couldn't get it to like I just opened it up and it's not it doesn't say anything. <laughs> I don't know,
2: man. I like, I,
0: uh, I yes. Uh, we're we're seeing junk uh, posting. It's a public radio exchange. Okay. I just didn't um, know it pub- something about public maybe uh something about public uh... well
2: you know sometimes when i put stuff in the dropbox via this uh wonderful uh widget um uh it doesn't put the thing in that, um, that i, oh, I want wanted right. to yeah. uh so i i don't uh i don't know uh what what why i was putting <laughs> PR this is why people tune in oh here we go um this know. was I will give you uh, an update in just a minute. Oh yeah, this is this is this. Oh, you know who this is, Ben? No. You know this. You know who these people are. You talk to them. Oh, it's the lovely people at Take Care. Okay, that I just W N M U F M and W R I R from Upstate New York. Uh, their, their station reaches 20 counties and southern Ontario, including the Syracuse, Utica, and Watertown Markets. Ben, Ben, this is our hometown, uh, yours and mine, from when we grew up, yeah. uh, NPR station.
0: Right, right. So let me tell you, when I go to the PRX.org, it actually takes me to uh, a story uh, called That Guy at the Bus Station, which I didn't listen to. And there's an advertisement for the Ra- Moth Radio Hour. Oh, perfect. So I, I was like, I don't know what this is. But yeah, so we talked, you and I both did uh, some interviews uh, with, uh, with some very, uh, um, very pleasant and uh, lovely folks. Yes.
2: Um, yes. They were they were really nice. They're good interviewers. We had a good uh, back and forth repartee. So I talked to them about uh, nutrition and microwave foods, um, which is ostensibly what they reached out to me for. And then I pitched them that I was really a microbiologist and we could talk about something else. So we talked about cross contamination and the five second rule. And we will we will certainly let people know when those uh, episodes come out. They they were pre recorded. They have not yet come out, but uh, they will be they will be um, coming out at some point very soon. Yeah, Lorraine and Linda. For Lorraine me. and Linda, yes. Lorraine and
0: Linda, yeah, it was it was cool. We, what did you talk to them about? Talked to them about refrigeration as well and um, uh, grilling, grilling food safety, cool, and in, in grilling, in grilling stuff. So yeah, it was good. It was I had a very lovely conversation with them. Um, I, got, I got nothing else for you. I got. That's uh, no, per- okay. We're, yeah. we're 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 almost two hours in. We Perfect. I think we I think this
2: is a good show. This is uh you know, I think we want to take it easy on the next hundred. You know we don't want to tax ourselves too much. It's true. We want to
0: like, kind of coast. I think. So, so what are you saying? It's like a uh, hundred was uh, was how we got tenure, and now we take. Yeah. Now to we're for just gonna phone it, We're gonna phone, it, phone in. it in, just like just like we normally do. <laughs> now that like we're it. tenured. Now that I'm tenured, i phone. I'm, there's a lot of phoning in. It in. Just yeah. phone it in. Just um, phone it in. And then when we're getting ready for our. Um, uh, hundred and fifty episode review. Uh, then we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll pump we'll it up again. Double down, right? Yeah, double down, uh, double up, uh, and uh, flip it up. Yeah, double it down. Enough, but uh, not flip it off because that flip would be that off. would be not good. Shake he it was, off.
2: Shake it off. That's shake what off.
0: that's what Taylor T Swizzle says. <laughs> um, <laughs> <and> <laughs> I'm so glad I have this now. More bell, more bell, more bell, more more pop pop bell. More I don't know what that's what it's called. More service bell. More service bell. Um, okay, well, let's call that, uh, let's call that a show. Uh, w- what's great is that we know uh, what our episode number is now, because we're doing it in real time, and I don't have to it. <laughs> so uh, episode uh, 101, uh, the Dalmatian episode um, <laughs> of uh, Food Safety Talk uh, <laughs> with uh, with Don Schaffner, with Ben Chapman, with uh, special guest uh, service bells, Um, Unnamed European Risk Assessor. Unnamed European Risk Assessor and uh, uh, O-Milk. O-Milk. So good stuff. Uh, All right, Don, I'll talk to you soon. Uh, Thanks again and bye-bye. Bye-bye. So you know what that sound is? So that's me typing, and that the microphone shakes a little bit on my table. Uh, yeah, you need a, you need a boom mic. I, well, it, I have a boom mic, and it still shakes on that because it's attached to the same table.
2: <laughs> can, you, can, yeah. can
0: you hear that on my boom that, mic? I hear that on your boom mic.
2: Yeah, okay. Yeah.
0: Uh, I guess
2: the thought, moral of the story is don't tap the table.
0: Don't tap the table. Um, Food Safety Talk, IT and Star. Let's look at our favorite thing. Um, hey, so I – you know what? This what? is After Dark, and I want to tell you I started thinking about um, trends, and I l- looked a little further into our statistics on foodsafetytalk.com, mm. and they are not telling me what I thought they were telling us. So we actually have no, no, no listeners. No, we have no idea how many listeners we have. Okay. So what we what audience size is, which is su- surprisingly not the audience of the podcast, it is number of visitors that come directly to the website. Ah, uh, okay. And so what we have to figure out, and I'm been looking so. I, what we have to figure out is how many people get the rss feed because that's what gets clicked on when you download something from iTunes okay cuz it's a direct port from rss feed rss feed but it's the rss feed not for the site which only has 3 readers but for <laughs> the audio files oh, okay so i'm i don't know well it ought to be possible to figure that out from, as
2: <clears throat> I know, I mean, other people host podcasts on Squarespace, and so it ought to be possible to figure this out.
0: Yeah, it's, I'm sure it's possible. Oh, excuse me, that's a, that's a yawn. Um, I just don't know, I don't know how to do it. So I'm, lo- I'm, I'm trying to figure that out, because I want to know, I want, like, this, I want to know what people, I, w- I think that there are metrics that iTunes collects that I don't know if we can get to. That if you download it through the podcast, um, or if you stream it directly from through iTunes, mm-hmm. that you can track how long people listen and whether they you know listen to the whole episode. It's different from whether they download it. Right. Well, <clears throat> and it depends.
2: It depends upon. Where you're hosting the files, right? Right. Like if you're hosting them, like we were originally, we still have some older episodes that are hosted on um, Amazon. Amazon Web Services yeah. (AWS), uh, which I probably should just move over to to Squarespace for because I it's like oh, costs me true. pennies a month, but I shouldn't I shouldn't keep paying for it. But um, yeah, so let's see. So. Um, I, yeah, I, yeah. So if you Google uh, podcast subscribers on um, Squarespace, it says uh, I can see how many subscribers I have for my podcast. Um, oh, but I can't for the latest version. Let's see. Um, yeah, we should. Yeah. Anyway, we should figure it out. But I'm I'm sure it's in the dozens, it's... high dozens. I think so. Well, and we we know we have we have like 150 people that subscribe to the uh, exactly. mailchimp.
0: Yeah, i I would be surprised. Like, I bet you we're in the low hundreds, like like a couple hundred. Yeah, that's my that's my guess. Yeah, that's my. I would guess the same. Yeah, which is, but I wanna like I just, I kind of want to know. Um, I I talked to um, uh, our our friend uh, Michael. Don't call me Mike Roberson. Who mm-hmm. was, he was an avid listener to the podcast and gets mm-hmm. all the jokes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> said to me. Uh, this morning, um, I know that there are people that download and don't listen like Linda Harris, uh, which is great. Um, and he said that uh, they've got lots of folks that he knows in, in the public system that, that listen, that look forward to listening to us and they talk oh, about it. That's and th- nice. And that, that there was like a, a contingency of people that were excited that we talked about CFP um, in in our last episode right? oh that's in, exciting in episode 101 yeah episode 100 so, <clears throat> so anyway yeah
2: well and, you know at least based on like whenever I, again i am still continually struck as i shared i think on the last episode when i go to a place and to a meeting and somebody said and somebody that i know in real life mentions that they listen to the podcast then it's like oh my gosh that's like so great i mean it's really i mean and i don't mean this i don't mean this in a a silly way i mean it's a genuine way it's really uh, we have great quality listeners <laughs> and i really don't care <laughs> about the quantity of listeners yeah, yeah. because the people that listen are like the really smart engaged food safety people and and if and if and if i know you in real life thank you and if i don't know you in real life come say hello at um uh, at iafp this summer yeah it's and ben will buy you a beer
0: i will I'll buy you a beer and and i i've already prom- promised cake so we're going to well. To you're
2: not going to bring it, though. Someone else is going to bring the Veronica's cake.
0: Veronica is going to bring the cake, right? As our uh, social social director, I, I think she's uh, termed herself self titled. Yes, self titled uh, social uh, we'll to see. So she's going to bring the cake. Um, we'll have cake. She uh, Veronica um, will. Uh, you you met her in at CFP. She's uh, mm-hmm. norner. Yeah, norner. She is one of the uh, public health um, travel scholarship uh, winners. For oh, that's IFB. great. Yeah, so it's pretty pretty exciting for. her. For her. Um, so anyway, yeah, good, uh, good stuff. Uh, um, what else? What, what else we got in the uh, in the after dark? Uh, uh, the Gumpert stuff. Mm. Let, let, let me just say, this is the like pure after dark kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, epidemiologists have to be frustrated when when people talk about how epidemiology is, is in uh, more of an art than a science. And that's essentially what he talked about. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh yeah. Epidemiology. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I, <laughs> you're being quiet. You're being awful quiet. You don't want to get, you don't I, yeah. want to engage on this. I see what's going on.
2: No, I know it's, it's fine. I just, I don't, I, the milk people are the milk people. Um, that's like, uh, it's like Merlin. Yeah. Who doesn't want to talk about, uh, the Scientologists on uh, Roderick on yeah, the line. Yeah, yeah. So I'm the same way with the wrong. It's, it's fine. Um, you know, it's just, Oh, it's, uh, there's more doubts about the California illness. And, uh, uh, we described how the Florida air quotes victim was actually a 73 year old woman who was being treated for serious advanced cancer of the blood. And, just goes on and on about well you know they yeah. shouldn't have been drinking raw milk anyway and i don't know it's just it's just very it's just it just irritates me right, that's right. all.
0: and then it's like so the reason why she got sick is because not because of the milk <laughs> right like right uh, it's free. yeah it's free. yeah anyway i you know we can talk more
2: about raw milk i think after the exchange of experts <laughs> that happens at iafp I, I, yeah. You know, there's going to be an exchange of experts. I
0: know, I know, there's going to be exchange of experts. So many people have mentioned this exchange of experts, like you and I have talked about it. Three other people have have been like, "What a very odd thing to call this." I it's so odd, but I am I am I am really hope
2: I not have to give a talk at the time that that's going on oh, because I would really it. very much like to see it.
0: I think it's going to be like uh, serial season two with Bo Bergdahl.
2: Uh huh. <laughs> Is that what it's going to be like? Yeah,
0: there was an exchange of experts there. Um I told you, I told you I like the cereal. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for cereal three, season three. I need some more. Don, I need some more like storytelling podcasts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you got for me? Well,
2: Roderick on the Line is
0: pretty good. <laughs> yeah, Roderick on the Line, I got, I, maybe I'll um, just do that.
2: I, I highly recommend Roadwork, uh, which is the podcast that uh, John does with Dan Benjamin. As, as they shared on a recent episode, uh, Merlin won't let John talk about sex, religion, or <laughs> drugs. So uh, does? that's all they talk about on Roadwork is okay. sex, religion, and drugs. And then also I would – actually, I would highly recommend there is a – a podcast by a guy named uh, Brett Terpstra called yes. Systematic, and and I've been a guest on that podcast. That's not that's not that great episode. Don't worry about listening to that. But but he does one uh, that is basically a four or five part. Uh, The History of John Roderick and it's just and John is such a consummate storyteller and it is really really good so that is highly recommended
0: I'm on that I as I mentioned in the um, recording today I have been listening to Bill Simmons and he did a fantastic podcast that I think we linked to in episode number 100 with Louis C.K. and then did this other one with Chris Sacco um, and the one that I listened to yesterday was with uh, David Chang of uh, Momofuku Mm -hmm. Momofuku uh, and the noodle bar, and noodle bar, uh, and it was really, it was really interesting to hear this like sports guy talk to someone in in kind of our world of food, um, and and David Chang's just a very compelling individual, like just a good storyteller too. So, I, I really like, I don't know, I'm, uh, I listened to, I, th- I mentioned this in episode, uh, last episode too, um, about, um, I think. Something called um, Someone Knows Something. Did I mention this? It's about this, like, no. missing... Oh, I told somebody about it. Missing kid uh, in eastern um, Ontario. It, that Its child went missing in 1972. And it's, like, a um, documentarian from the CBC uh, goes and interviews a bunch of people about the disappearance. Oh. It was kind of interesting. Hmm. Well, that um, does sound good. It was a little bit slow, but it's got a very, like, local... Like it's very similar. The I really like the accents because mm-hmm. it reminds me of home. And people oh. talk mm-hmm. like very. It's it's very different. So, and they say things like "How are you now," which is how you, um, how, how you introduce yourself when you meet somebody.
2: Oh, in Canadian.
0: Yeah, in Canadian, well, in, in some parts of Canada. And then the answer, the correct answer is "Not bad." And you.
2: <laughs> okay, yeah. that's good to know. How are you now? How are you now,
0: how as are you opposed now? to how were you five minutes ago? Right, right. How are you now? Well, not bad. You. Uh, so, so there's a lot of that going on in uh, in, 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 a, in a in a kitschy kind of way. Oh, cool! Uh, somebody knows something. So, so anyway, um, hey, we should uh, we should plan for another one of these these here there podcasts. Oh, we should. I cannot do May 23rd. I'm teaching a workshop all day, but I can do May 24th. All right, I will be teaching a workshop all day on the 24th. Look uh, at us, workshop teaching uh, fools. No good. How about? Um, we, I could do uh, prior to 2 o'clock on May 25th. I'm also
2: I'm teaching a workshop that day, too.
0: Uh. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> that's my frustration with our workshopping. Um, what about Tuesday, May 31st? I know that's a little bit of a time lag, but my only other time would be... Oh, no, I'm wide open. Oh, perfect. Okay. Wide open. Done. Me too. Wide open. One o'clock? One o'clock's great. I like this time. It's good, yeah. Gives us some time to get some stuff done, and it's a mm-hmm. nice little mid-afternoon, um, I don't know, treat. Mm-hmm. And after, it's a mid-afternoon delight. It's known <laughs> <done, it's laughs> in the uh, in the podcasting world. Yes. Uh, FST. This is how I sing like Merlin. He does a lot of that. Mm-hmm. FST recording. Bam, 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 bam. Not at one fifteen. I don't know why I did that. Zero zeros.
2: Oh, I yeah, mine pump popped in at 1:15 too. I think it's just the just the way you Weird. click on the, on the calendar thing.
0: Yep. Okay, so one o'clock, May 31st. Done. Boom. Boom. I got this one. guess yep. what's, Guess what's gonna happen right now? You're gonna post it. I'm gonna try and do it right now. Can you? Are you able to put the text? Yeah, I will put the links
2: in the thing right now. I've just and I just added a few. I added for the after dark. I added uh, Gumpert and Roderick and Roadwork. So. Oh sweet,
0: yeah. This, the challenge is on. I'm doing it right now. Cool. Okay. Um. Cool, Don. uh, All right. I'll talk to you later.
2: All right. Talk to you later.
0: Bye bye.